This is Pixelated Audio, episode 174, The Guardian Legend. Welcome to Pixelated Audio, or welcome back, loyal listeners. We are a podcast focused on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We are your hosts. I'm Gene, and that's Brian. How's it going? Today we're going to be talking about Guardian Legend. We're going to be listening to music together. It's a lot of fun. It was created by Compile for the NES, as well as its predecessor, Gardic, for the MSX, which shares a lot of the same music. Different game, though. This is one of my absolute favorite soundtracks growing up. I've talked with Brian about this all the time. I have a few oddball NES games. I think everybody had a couple of games that they grew up playing that were not the usual things. Of course, I had my Mega Mans and my Mario Brothers. Uh, Fester's Quest, personal favorite. But The Guardian Legend was probably one of those games that I put an ungodly amount of hours into. It was such a great game. I, I played a lot of this as well, actually. Um, I, I did not play... Uh, Gardic for the MSX, but I did play this. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have an MSX in, as, a, as a kid. <laughs> right, right, neither did I. Um, but I, I did play Guardian Legend, and um, I, I have a, a love for it as well. Not in the same, you know, uh, strength that you have, but um, I did play it a lot as a kid, so I, I think it'll be a fun conversation to have. Um, there's a, a lot of interesting parts to this game we'll get into, but let's just jump into our, our first track. What do we have? Well, first, before we do that, that was the title theme, obviously. It had a nice rocket takeoff sound, because that's the sound of your jet as you're approaching the planet, which is uh, super cool. But mm -hmm. uh, the next track that we have is when you're actually doing the intro stage as you're approaching Anaju, which is a gigantic uh, man-made or alien-made asteroid. So this is the approaching Naju or intro stage. <laughs> Thank you. 
that was the intro stage approaching Naju, and I feel like this has an appropriately epic or dramatic opening music sound to it. Really fits the scene. Right, right. You first get a hint of that title screen again, right? But then it it goes into its own kind of soaring thing. I really like the... Um, you know, the, the NES, this is a, a simple soundtrack in a way. There's some really cool echoing effects that they're doing on both of the, the square channels. Um, but then you get that one little chime where it's kind of like on its own. It's like ding, 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 ding. I really like that. Yeah. And we'll talk about this. But one thing that's really kind of striking to me about this soundtrack is how much they rely on like just very that open 50% square tone. Like a lot of NES soundtracks really don't do this. And I think it has to do with some of their earlier projects because they did a lot of work on the msx and master system but we'll, we'll get into that yeah um i don't want to linger too long let's jump into the very first boss theme which you hear at the end of the approaching aju stage so let's do that it's a short little loop was the music from the first boss stage and uh this it's a short loop but I, I i love this track it's just it's got this beautiful chime to it it's it's short but it's so so good yeah the whole soundtrack has a very kind of like somber minor sound to it more so than a lot of other nes soundtracks i feel like that's why this one really stuck with me it's just it's very like I don't know, it's just very melancholy the whole way through. I mean, there's a couple of upbeat mm-hmm. songs, but overall it's it's all kind of like this is a boss theme, but this is kind of like a, you know, a depressed boss. A little bit of a depressed boss, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, let's get into our next track here. This is the message room. And again, it's got that kind of somber tone to it. Really cool. Let's take a listen. We'll be right back. That was the message room. This is when you get the information about what you're supposed to be doing next, correct? Like, I haven't played the game in a long time. Yeah, basically, after you finish the intro stage, you arrive to, like, this very 
if you're reading this message, we've died. But, you know, here's what you need to do to rid this world of monsters or, you know, rid this man-made planet full of monsters. So you, like, you know, press the fire button and you shoot through and you get all these uh, essentially context about what, what you're doing. You know, why are you fighting these bosses? And so basically you get dropped into a screen you have exits on all sides. You're in the very center of this world. Yeah, yeah. Having come from a vertical shooter stage, you're now like walking around in like a Zelda world. <laughs> right, so let's back up a second here. Um, Guardian Legend was released in February of 1988 in Japan. April 1989 in the US, Europe 1990. It's, like you said, this weird hybrid game where it's part Legend of Zelda and then part vertical shooter where you <laughs> control a, a plane around. I remember this game being so frustrating to me because that first level, you're a ship, uh, you're a spaceship flying through yeah. like this space area that's way too fast. Blazing and fast. It's, <laughs> and it's actually, it's really hard to get past the stage. And once you get past it, you beat that boss, you go to this message room or you land on uh, Naju, then you, all of a sudden the game has changed what you've already learned about the controls. And so it, it, it adds this really like, wow, what am I even doing now? And um, you play, uh, you control this female cyborg named Miria in the Japanese manual. You can transform into a starship. So that's what you're actually doing. You're like transforming back and forth into it. You can even see the little animation. It's pretty cool. And your goal is to destroy the space station Naju, which is a uh, which is on a collision course with Earth filled with dangerous monsters like you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, I think it was changed slightly for the English manual. I don't know if it's exactly the same in the Japanese, but in general, you're in a space station full of monsters. You got to destroy them. What's interesting about this game is it's not uh, laid out how you would think, but we'll get into that a little bit. I also want to jump back a little bit here and talk about the previous game while we're on the topic of like games designed by Compile. Uh, Gardic while technically has nothing to do with this game, has got a lot of the DNA of this game in it. And the reason why I want to bring it up is because, as you'll see, there's a lot of music parallels here. A lot of the stuff that was worked on from the first game ended up in the second game. It was released for the MSX in 1986. They maintain to this day that there is no relationship between the games other than they're just like shooters that you know take place in space. That's, it feels that, like a beta version of, of Guardian Legend. It really does. But... The first game, Gardic, was composed by Masatomo Miyamoto. As you'll hear, it's like right on. Uh, some of these things are reused quite literally. It's a much simpler game. It's a single screen shooter. It's almost like a weird combination of like a maze game and Space Invaders. So they've just were already messing around with this hybrid genre. Like you navigate a ship around, so it's a non-linear world. You can choose where to go, but then during the stages, you're like in a single screen firing at vertical shooter enemies. Very odd, but they seem to like this idea and they developed it more fully into Guardian Legend. That's interesting that they they still kind of claim that there's not really a, a connection there, but that's maybe just a, you know, it didn't turn out as well as they'd hoped. And they're like, well, no, this is our, you know, on the NES is our next chance to uh, kind of redeem ourselves with what we wanted. So did you play the MSX game? I didn't. I've watched some footage of it. It looks pretty primitive. It doesn't have great scrolling as MSX games generally don't. But there's some pretty cool looking stuff going on. It's got a lot of uh, enemies on the screen, given how simple the game looks. Well, the music is pretty cool. At least. It is. Yeah. You know, while we're on the subject of Gardic, why don't we just play 
the main BGM from that game. It doesn't show up anywhere in Guardian Legend, but might as well, right? Let's take a listen. was the main BGM from Gardic on the MSX. And I you're right, like this doesn't kind of have the um the same feeling, I guess, but there is some some resonance there that uh made it into Guardian Legend. Yeah, I mean musically it has the same kind of bouncy uh I don't know, square waviness of, <laughs> of the Guardian Legend. It mm. clearly to me sounds like it was written by the same team, you know? So I don't know, not the most interesting track, but again, if we don't play it now, when are we ever going to talk about it? So It's cute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyways, so we have a few other tracks here. Do you want to talk about um, the composers? Or do you want to listen to no, some more music? No, let's jump first? into some more music, uh, going back to Guardian Legend. Cool. So up next, we have Naju Overworld, and you're going to hear this a lot for a while. Um, I remember hearing this quite a lot. Now, this is different because we talked about like that somber um, feeling with a, a lot of the other music. This one is the one that's probably the most peppy out of all of them. So let's take a listen. was the Naju Overworld, a sad peppy tune. <laughs> sure. Still, still sure. pretty minor, but you know, it's, yeah, uh, this takes place, the whole game is kind of like you start off in the center, it's a hub world, it's a Zelda world, so you pretty much always return back to this overworld between stages. Yes. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost exactly like Zelda in that sense, right, where you go to the, um, the labyrinths, but instead of, you know, the same controlling a character moving around, you revert back into your starship form or whatever. So, exactly. Um, this music, though, I, I, I was surprised a little bit because none of the tracks are the, none of them are longer than really fifteen seconds. I, really, I mean, like we're, 30, 40 seconds at max. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna loop them right, but like, I mean, the I think the title screen is maybe the longest one, but like this this track, I was surprised that it was this short because you really spend a lot of time in this area, so they could have added a little extra another you know few bars on there to to give it maybe 
less repetition, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at the same time, you know, it, it's got a really nice swing to it. The bass is nice, and um, it, it makes you it makes you feel better to be there than you know in some of the other really depressing tracks. But yeah, it's a really cool area that you stay in, and uh, it's got this this nice kind of you know swing music to it. Yes, it's just like a bright green zone. This is the visually uh, least oppressive zone in the entire world. <laughs> there's a lot of like, <laughs> there's a lot of like very scary looking, you know, stuff as you get into the game. But let's talk a little bit about the company. Yeah, so we've talked about Compile, I'm sure, on the show before. Uh, game developer founded in Tokyo on the 7th of April, 1982, under the name Programmers 3, Inc. And then they changed the name to Compile in 1985, where they operated until their bankruptcy in 2003. And some of the former employees went to the offshoot companies like Compile Heart, a subsidiary of Idea Factory, best known for the Hyperdimension Neptunia series. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about that on the show before. Yeah, yeah. Compile is one of these companies that the the DNA that they put into the shmup world has gone on to influence a lot of other companies, and not just shmups. Yeah, there's like this the hints of like Compile in all sorts of other companies, and um, those more involved with shmups went on to like the short-lived Milestone, responsible for some shooters like Chaos Field and Radigy. In the early days, from 85 to about 93, Compile's biggest games were shoot-em-ups, including uh, legendary games like Xanak, a lot of the um, games we talked about, like Elise series, including Musha, um, Blazing Lasers, Gunhead, and Spriggan. Now, we've done quite a few episodes on the Elise series. You, we had, uh, was it uh, Sakota on yep. some years ago now? Yeah, it was a great show. That was one of our first um, interviews, uh, Japanese interviews, too. Yeah, that's going a ways back, but it was a really mm -hmm. great one. I remember him being kind of like a, a little bit... Uh, a little feisty <laughs> in that interview. Just he's like a, he's a nice guy. I mean, he's he's a he's a funny guy, and he would like message me like randomly about just weird stuff about like different like restaurants in San Francisco and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> cool guy. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know what's cool is Compile was one of these companies that was behind a lot of games. So they didn't just do shmups. They also worked on uh, those like legendary fantasy pinball games, Alien Crush and Devil Crush, which I didn't even realize. I always assumed they were NEC games, but it was just a licensing deal. Uh, mm -hmm. During the 90s, they transitioned to working on some other well-known series, the Mato Monogatari or the uh, I forget what those are called in English. It, actually, I don't think they were ever released in English, but it's like a first person no. dungeon crawler with like a cute character, which then kind of in a roundabout way, spawned off the Puyo Puyo series, which became their bread and butter for about a decade. And I think even though Compile is not really around, Puyo Puyo is still like a pretty big franchise. You know, there's Puyo Puyo Tetris and things like that. It's kind of like their most lasting legacy these days. But for the longest time, they were always like the shmup company. Um, unfortunately, right. as things were slowing down in the early 2000s, uh, they started to kind of taper off. But one of their last games, one of my favorites, uh, what I consider the swan song was the shmup Xanak x Xanak, released for the PS1 in 2001. Really great mm -hmm. game, features some really great arrangements of the original Xanak. It's one of these probably collector's items they didn't make that many copies of. It's probably super expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good game. It's, it's a great, really good yeah. game. Uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Let's get into this next track here. This is Empty Room. Thank you. 
that was Empty Room. Gene, you have some thoughts on this one. Yeah, so very early on in the game, as you're exploring, you find a room with nothing in it, which looks suspiciously like a stage. I'm going to spoil it for a 30-plus-year-old game. It's the last level. <laughs> Eventually, once you've defeated all of the other bosses, that becomes the entrance for the final stage, which, uh, you know. But that said, it is very much like, huh, when you first play the game, it is a little strange. <laughs> yeah. I even had little lyrics to go with it, too, but uh, we'll save for another day. Brian was me a little song, which we will not repeat here, but <laughs> <laughs> in any case, I wanted to move on. This is uh, where we first hear that parallel between the two games. First, I want to play the Gardic title theme, and then we're going to play where it got used in the Guardian Legend as the password theme. Was a cool transition. The first one we heard was the title theme from Gardic, and then we heard its evolution into the password screen for the Guardian Legend. And this is pretty cool because that's going from like the AY38910 to the NES APU, and having that noise like on there, that noise sound just like poof, poof, like oh, it sounds so cool. I really like it. You're going to be listening to this password theme a lot if you're not using an emulator. You know, I have a lot of people that I want to give thanks to, but the one person I want to say no thanks to is whoever designed the password system. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember it for this. So the, the password system, the best I can sort of describe it is imagine if somebody uh, turned the Japanese language into like a weird alien symbol language. So there's like 60 characters with umlauts <laughs> and weird little like, you know, things coming off of the letters and if you miswrite any one of the like 32 character password it doesn't work so <laughs> oh god yeah it was it was a nightmare and i've had at least a couple of times where i've lost you know half a day's progress because i just mistyped something it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah there's a few other passwords that remind me uh of how much i hated passwords um but let's get into our next track here this is the ocean overworld and this is from the guardian legend Thank you. 
So that was the Ocean Area Overworld. We're going to listen to the Oceanic Area Corridor. So that was the Oceanic Area Corridor, and now you're going to hear it reverted back to the MSX. This is the Gardic name entry tune. It's almost like the D-Make, except they made it first. <laughs> We're going to be going back and forth. Let's take a listen. So that was the back-to-back, the ocean area overworld. So, you know, your Zelda-like blue zone that you're walking around in. Then the oceanic area corridor, which is your vertical shooter zone. And then the Gardic name entry, which is the same music, but, you know, used in a different context, obviously. (laughs) I like this. I like these tracks. I like this world a lot, actually. Um, It's a little, it's actually probably the most depressing world. Uh, But I I do like the, the music quite a lot. It's um, got, you know, the little kind of glimmer of happiness that pops in in that overworld theme. But yeah, cool, cool track. And the Gardic version is you can you can definitely I mean that there's no mistake that they're like the same track. Oh, yes. No, um, no, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Some extra flourish in there uh, for the NES version. But yeah, actually, the Guardian Legend, for those that don't really know the game, it's totally linear for the most part like the overworld you can kind of navigate at your own leisure but the zones are often blocked off by like the first key i think is a crescent key once you have the crescent well, there's key, nothing to do there's yeah. nothing to do if you go to the wrong area first right yeah you can't even exit the main hub area unless you have the appropriate key you can enter the right. ocean area right away though that one doesn't require a key so oh really yeah i don't remember yeah yeah hmm. Uh, towards the end of the game, you actually get a couple of keys that connect zones, so you can like link one to the other. But in general, you kind of go straight in order. But yeah, Man, I don't think I ever got that far into the game. Oh <laughs> to yeah, be I've beaten this game a few times. In fact, for this show, I actually played it again, and you know, I have to say, it holds up really well. It's still one of these games that I'm surprised there haven't been more attempts to either remake it or essentially take what it did 
and and reproduce it. But maybe maybe somebody's going to listen to this and do it. <laughs> we'll find out. So let's get into our next tracks here. Gene, you put some comparisons together, right? Yeah, we're going to first play the boss, the second boss theme. And then we're going to play two back-to-back comparisons. Keep in mind, everything's super short, so you'll you'll get to hear it. But this, I'm looking at the, the notes here, and I'm so confused what you're going <laughs> to yeah, explain. I know. So I'm, I'm excited to, jump to hear. Back and forth. This is this is the magic of post production. It'll all make sense when you when the listener hears it. But first, we're going to hear Great. the second boss theme from the Guardian Legend. was the boss two theme which honestly always the first few seconds of that always makes me a little bit uneasy i think it's outlining like a some sort of dissonant chord before it kind of resolves into nicer friendlier arpeggios but it's it's got a little bit of that sonic rings energy it's a scary tone drown you know one of my favorite songs in all the video game history (laughs) next we're gonna play the overworld boss completed or boss done theme so when you defeat one of the corridors you get this wonderful like honestly triumphant upbeat yes you won song so this is the boss done theme from guardian legend For those of you who know what this is, you have a little shop theme in the Guardian Legend. You buy items from their mascot, the Blue Randar, which is like a giant Kirby, except he's blue. Uh, (laughs) That song appears in both games. He ends up being the star of a few uh, compile games later on down the road, some RPGs. But this is the Blue Randar from Gardic, followed by the Blue Randar in the Guardian Legend.
So those short little loops were the Randar room in Guardian Legend and just the Randar theme in <laughs> in Gardic. Very short loops. Clearly, they slowed it down to make it a little bit less irritating. But you'll see this this happy blue face every now and again when you're trying to buy something. He's kind of like, <laughs> he works exactly like the Zelda shopkeepers. It's like, do you want this or do you want that? Yep. That's all I got. Pretty much. Let's move on to the next zone. This is the forest area overworld. That was the Forest Area Overworld, and this has just a really cool baseline to it that changes a lot from a lot of the other stuff we hear in the game. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> bouncy but sad. You know, it's, it's very it's moving yeah. very quickly. This whole soundtrack, I, I just love that sort of. It's easy to get lost into. Like I know, listening to it out on its own, you may not sort of get it. It's really a game that needs to be experienced. I mean, the loops are short, but it just works really well. You're jumping in between areas quickly enough that nothing really gets too tiring. And it's that it's that area. Like this kind of music really does bring me back to like childhood and having these, you know, these games that you don't really know much about, right? Like unless you read it in a Nintendo Power or something like that, like. It was just, you know, there was no internet. There wasn't, there was nothing really around at the time to like do research or figure out. So it was kind of like all you had was the music and all you had was like the manual that it came with. And you were just in this world and uh, experiencing it, you know, as you're going through confused as a kid too. like, where do I go next? I don't even know what I'm doing. Right. Like trying to figure things out. And um, I think that that whole sense of wonder is is also what contributes to the music being so enjoyable to listen to. Even now, I, I really like it. I mean, I played the game a lot as a kid, but not nearly as much as you because I, I never beat it for sure. But yeah, it gives me that just that that old timey, like happy. I'm sitting on a beanbag, like in my underwear, eating cereal feel. Yeah, I feel like this game had a nice balance Nowadays, you know, the closest comparison people would have is like Dark Souls, where, you know, you would go to school and you'd try to talk to your friends and be like, I can't figure it out. Actually, in my case, it was my sister. We didn't really, <laughs> I didn't have anybody else that I knew that had played this game. But sometimes you'd just be stuck on a zone and you get some like cryptic clue. And, you know, literally just the clue was essentially like wait in the area to, for the corridor to open. You have to be there for like 30 seconds before the door opens. There's like half of the corridors have some sort of trick 
before you can go to them. So it's a little bit like, you can just look it up nowadays. Some of the mystique is gone, but even just kind of tooling around in the game without getting stuck for hours is still like, it's still a nice experience and the gameplay is solid. If you've never played the game for sure, just pop it on, don't look anything up and just try to figure it out. But if you get stuck, look it up. There's no shame. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shame. Cool, let's talk about the composers. We haven't really said anything about them yet. Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is these three guys, actually there's two composers and I wanted to talk a little bit about the programmer later, but they overlapped for a very short period of time. They did not work together for very long, but Masatomo Miyamoto is the guy who wrote the music for Gardic and by proxy wrote a lot of the music for the Guardian Legend. I don't know exactly where the credits diverge, but in any case, he worked for Compile from around 1985 to 1990. He sometimes went under pseudonyms like Miyamoto, Miyamo, Miyamo, uh, anything of that nature. He worked on Xanak, Golfelius, Tombs and Treasure, Power Strike, Blazing Lasers, Aleste, Gaiden, Aleste 2. Really great musician. I, I really love his style. Uh, fortunately, you don't get enough of it. Uh, I think this Golfelius and Blazing Lasers are kind of like the, the trifecta of the ones that really feel like compile music from like the late 80s to me really i would say a less guiding or a less too also on there I, I put those on the list for sure you're right it is a great soundtrack um and then we, next we have takashi santo a japanese game developer also worked to compile around 1987 uh and around 1989 takashi left compile and created his own game development studio sting along with several other members of compile Sting is another one of those casualties of the 2010s. I, they're sort of around, I think, in name only, but they worked on some really cool RPGs and things on the, you know, Game Boy Advance and PSP and things like that. Uh, fans of like, uh, you know, what is it called? The Department Heaven series know these guys. But yeah, he worked on a lot of different things. He wasn't primarily a musician. He only worked on music kind of as like a few jobs. Actually, in fact... Golvelius, Tombs and Treasure, Power Strike, and I think Guardian Legend was about all he really worked on as a musician. Hmm. Uh, afterwards, he went on to Sting and worked on sound effects for a few games like Psycho Chaser, not a well-known game. He was a programmer for Treasure Hunter G, which I think you guys did a show on way back when. That was like our 10th episode or something like that, yeah. Yeah, and then he became a producer for games like Baroque, the Evolution games for Dreamcast, and yeah, the Sting games that we know, Riviera, Yggdra Union, Gungnir, uh, lots of hard to pronounce things. <laughs> <laughs> Evolution 1 and 2, those were pretty cool for the Dreamcast. Yeah. I, I guess he just sort of got hired as a musician and then moved up, you know, obviously started his own company, moved up and did other things. But that's kind of, it's interesting that they overlap for just such a brief period of time. They didn't even work at Compile for very long together, like three games. Well, let's jump into our next track here. We have the Forest Area Corridor next, so let's take a listen. Thank you. 
That was the Forest Area Corridor, and that was from the Guardian Legend. And that I really like that that kind of bluesy riff they throw in there, even though the rest of the track is still depressing. It is, I know. And it's you've almost got that like midline running at a different rhythm than everything else, which I've always found kind of like I don't know, just a little herky jerky, but in a in an interesting sort of way. But I wanted to talk about the programmer specifically on this game. This is a very small team. Keep in mind, 1988 NES games. We're talking very, very small teams. Takayuki Hirono is, to me, like, I didn't know the name, but when I looked at the credits, it's like, okay. He worked on basically everything in Xanak, design, programming, and sound programming. He worked on Gardic, the sound driver there. He worked on Golvelius, which is probably the only other game that I think most of them worked on. Uh, Blazing Lasers, he was the programmer. GGLS, again, which we talked about uh, on a previous show. Power Strike 2, Robo Alest, and he was even director and producer for Xanak x Xanak. I mean, I feel like compile games from this era just have a certain kind of like control. They're very fast, and you get all sorts of like crazy cool weapons, and I feel like a lot of it has to do with this guy. So, you know, my hat's <laughs> off to you, Takayuki Hirono, for all of your work on those late 80s and early 90s shmups. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised because I saw in the credits for Gardic that he was a composer, but it doesn't look like he wrote any music. He just wrote the soundtrack, correct? Right, and he was the lead programmer for the Guardian Legend. So, you know, gotcha. and, and okay. this... This one does control a lot like the Aleste series or Blazing Lasers, so I feel like he was kind of the go-to guy for making that exact sort of formula of shmup. <laughs> well, you know, it's like one of those things. You have experience in a certain genre, like this is his uh, his golf game, you know, for like Team <laughs> sure. except it's compile. <laughs> so exactly, he's the he's the golf programmer. He is the hole in, hole in one on a lot of these games. Congrats. <laughs> but, you know, his last production credit that I could find, uh, at least related to this, he worked at Compile pretty much till the end. He was the director and producer for Xanak x Xanak. So just, you know, closing the loop on that. Cool. But um, let's jump back into some more music. This is the next area. This is the Stellar Area Overworld. That was from the Stellar Area Overworld. And next we're going to play the Stellar Area Corridor. So let's take a listen.
So the first one we played was this stellar area overworld, and then we followed that with the corridor. I, I really like this corridor track. It's 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 actually one of the longer tracks. It it has um, to me just a little more breath than some of the other tracks. It's um, not only because it's longer, it just goes through some different phases, I guess. Uh, but I like it a lot. Yeah, and going back to what I was saying earlier, it's definitely still got that moodiness, that, you know, those echoing pure square tones, you know, just like very, like they, they just echo on. I don't know why, I just, I've listened to a lot of video game music over the years, but for whatever reason, I don't remember that many NES games having this like, you know, that pure square tone. And kind of going back to what I was saying, I mean, they had stuff like Golvelius on the Sega Master System. They worked in the MSX. I just feel like the people really like that kind of pure square tone. <laughs> I feel like there has to be some aspect to it, you know? Cause yeah, could be that. They just went like clean tone. You know, sometimes simple is 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 the best, right? For whatever you're trying to accomplish. And and I think that, you know, the music does have a kind of a, a pure sound to it, right? It's it's It almost, to me, feels like that evolution of the MSX where they had, yeah. you know, the, the more simple um, tones. And then they, they kind of not, I'm not saying they converted it over, but they, they carried along that almost legacy of despair and, and some, and simple sound into this game. And uh, I think it works out real well. I do too. Uh, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite tracks in the game, but mm -hmm. I did want to talk a little bit about the gameplay since we haven't talked about it much. Uh, we've talked about that it's a Zelda-ish clone and that there are these corridors. So, you know, you go to these, uh, you know, you walk through these lengthy Zelda levels and then you get to the corridors, which are the vertical shooter levels. But there's a lot more to the game that I think makes it still pretty interesting today. For one, you know, you're walking around, you're collecting power-ups and weapons. But what's cool is the weapons are actually applicable in both stages. So you'll have... You know, you're, you're walking around and you can shoot in eight directions, but you also have a power that works that way in your ship. So you can, you know, as you're flying down, you know, it's a vertical shooter, but you still have a beam that fires behind you. So almost every weapon that you collect in the overworld or you get from winning these corridors has a slightly different function when you're doing the vertical shooter stages versus the Zelda levels. But, you know, they're not totally divorced from each other because you're still the same character. Uh, you upgrade your weapon power, you... You know, you get more chips, which is essentially the currency or energy level that you use for firing more. So in the beginning of the game, you can only use the special weapons for a little while. Um, it's a very interesting economy where the more you use the special weapons, the more it degrades your standard shot. So you, there's like a bit, a bit of this push pull between. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Huh. So if I have like a maximum of, let's say, you know, 800 energy, uh, you know, I have like a reasonably powerful shot when i get down to about four or five hundred my main shot degrades a little bit so i gotta earn some energy back in order to like have that more powerful just like regular shot oh okay that makes a lot of sense so I yeah I realize that. you mm. got to be very careful about like overusing your special weapon because then you're going to be left with like the weakest shot possible which is not really going to be helpful for defeating the bosses so yeah that's like quite the punishment actually you know you have to use your special weapon to get through certain areas especially you know um in some of the overworld uh th your special weapon will clear out a lot of the screen a lot faster oh, yeah. than your your standard stuff but yeah you can't overuse it because then you'll be stuck you know with um with something far less powerful and, and <laughs> make the game that much more difficult. We've made a lot of comparisons to Zelda, but it's almost like a mix of Zelda and Zelda 2. 
I want to say. The, it, kinda, it kinda yeah. has it kind of has that feeling to me where there is the almost more of the um RPG element where you know in Zelda 2 you're you're leveling up your your power and stuff like that. Um it's kind of got that, but with the Zelda one overworld. Exactly. And yeah, what's nice is the game is pretty generous with the power-ups, so you almost never run out of weapon energy. So yeah, you can be wailing on an enemy with the special weapon and then for a little while you're kind of stuck with the, you know, the weak shot, but then, you know, a few seconds later you've got energy back. It's it's not too bad about like Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, like when you kill a bad guy uh or some enemy do you get the power? I'm trying to recall. It just feels there are, it's okay. So long. I'll I'll kind of explain that too. So there's another aspect to the overworld stages. There are these special blocks that when you destroy them, there are permanent powers. So you get a new weapon, you get weapon energy. There are also bosses on the overworld when you're walking around, uh, and when you defeat those bosses, they'll give you a power up as well. So as you progress through through the game, first you get about like 15 weapons. And you also get multiple levels. So each weapon can be powered up to like level one, two, or three. And, you know, they take more weapon energy, but they're also much more powerful. And so as you, you know, you're getting through the game, there's kind of this leapfrogging effect where, ah, I got a weapon. I'm super powerful against the bosses. Then you get to the next zone where everybody's like just pounding on you. And so it it never gets too easy, but it stays relatively like right in that sweet spot of challenge for most of the game. It's pretty cool. Most of the challenge for me just comes in the uh, the spaceship areas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. I, I think that's the the hardest part because you 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 just take so much damage and you really have to. It's like damage control, um, especially in especially in the first level. Uh, <laughs> but in the overworlds, um, I never felt too overwhelmed with enemies. It always felt like you could kind of get your way out, and there was enough ammo replenishing to where you didn't feel like you were just stranded. So I, I like the balancer. That's true. And the vertical shooter stages are bar by far the longest. So if you lose to a boss there, you have to do them. But I mean, it's like three minutes, four minutes. It's not too, too bad. Uh, right. The overworld stages, if you die there, I think it just takes you to the beginning of the zone. So like in the beginning of like the ocean area, so you don't have to travel as far. Oh, no, no, wait, the password rooms. I just remembered. It takes you to the password rooms. So make heavy use of those, even if you're <laughs> using an emulator. <laughs> but no, you know, I, yeah. I think if you get you get game over because you only get one life. If you get game over, it does allow you to continue. Right, infinite continues, but yes, one life. But if it turns out that you actually hate all of the Zelda-like stuff, there is the classic password. Just type in TGL, and you only do the vertical shooter stages. So, wait, what? Yeah, did did this folk knowledge never pass down to you, Brian? I've known this since like no. 1990. <laughs> no, but see, I, I think I only like, I think a friend had this game and okay. we would play it. So I didn't, I didn't know all the, all the, the tricks and there, there was probably a Nintendo power that I did look up where it had like password stuff. But by then it I was must like, have been in there. Cause that's, I heard that from the grapevine and now I know it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We got some music here. There's the organic area corridor. Let's take a listen.
That galloping track was the Organic Area Corridor, and this was from The Guardian Legend, composed by Masatomo Miyamoto and Takashi Santo. What did I say, Brian? It's an 80s shmup. You're not going to get away without fighting some kind of organic zone. Yes. Eyeballs, pulsing, this and yeah, that. I mean, it's, some kind it's, of, it's like, all here. Arms and vessels. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. One of the one of the boss monsters is like essentially made up of eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every shooter's got to have an eyeball monster. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> One thing I'm noticing here, this game was never re-released for anything. Maybe we mentioned it earlier, but I don't think it ever came out in the Wii eShop or anything. No, no, surprisingly, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think either Gardic or Guardian Legend were ever re-released. So they're, you know, technically system orphans. They're just kind of trapped on their respective consoles. But huh. that said, that got me thinking about something else that I said earlier in the show, which is kind of funny that, you know, a lot of people, there's like a very small little community of people that miss this game and, you know, wish that there have been like fan projects and stuff, but I've never really seen anything come out of it. Oddly enough, I started playing Near Automata. And like when I said, I wish there were more games that were like part shmup, part adventure game. Well, <laughs> there you go. It's, uh, it, you know, <laughs> weirdly wish granted. <laughs> yeah. How do you like it so far? I'm I'm digging it a lot. It's a really great game. I, yeah. I love the original. Uh, I had never played Automata until just now. I'm a little late to the party. I think it came out like six years ago originally. It's it's a great game. I mean, the music is as as good as the first game. That's oh man. I I, I wish Square wasn't quite as uh, protective of that one. I'd love to play more near music on our show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get into uh, a wasteland. That's another classic area. This is the Wasteland Overworld. Let's take a listen. That was the Wasteland Overworld, composed by Masatomo Miyamoto and Takashi Santo. I don't have a lot to say about this one. Now, I, I feel like by this part of the game, you just want to kind of get to the end, and I think we should do the same. Let's get to the <laughs> area corridor music. That was the Wasteland Area Corridor, music composed by Masatomo Miyamoto and Takashi Santo. This is a lot more um, energizing and upbeat uh, compared to the Overworld. 
Uh, I like this one a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's a good tune. It's very, you know, again, it's a little bit more oppressive. I mean, you are getting towards the end of the game, so the bosses are... This is a really hard zone. Uh, one thing, I, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, we talked about the programmer earlier, and what's really cool is even late into the game, the frame rate is really steady. Like, they do some tricks where when you fire a beam, it just, like, hides part of the enemy. Like, some of the sprite just gets erased. There's, like, almost no slowdown in this game. Like, it's amazing how smoothly it plays like i was i was hitting the limits of my reflexes on the very last few stages it was pretty tough so just nice. remember if you're playing this game at the very end it's uh it's tricky without cheats <laughs> cool so you have another uh comparison here right this is the yeah this is the final comparison so uh i'm gonna jump back over to gardic because gardic only really has one boss theme guardian legend has a few but they ended up using the Gardic boss theme as the last boss theme. So here's the Gardic boss, and then the Guardian Legend boss. We just heard the Gardic boss, because there's only one. And then we heard the boss <laughs> theme three from Guardian Legend. And the uh, Guardian Legend version is really just that the percussion added in. I mean, they they sound very identical to me uh, as far as the, I guess, that, you know, the bass and the, uh, you know, the high end. Yeah, I mean, the pretty much that kick drum sound to make it more impressive but otherwise yeah Masatomo Miyamoto's original compositions are mostly carried over pretty much wholesale yeah you know with a lot more new music added yep so let's get into the last corridor and uh, we'll be right back And that was the last corridor from the Guardian Legend, composed by Masatomo Miyamoto and Takashi Santo. And 
for our part, that's basically the Guardian Legend in a nutshell. <laughs> so today we covered the Guardian Legend on the NES and Gardic on the MSX, composed by Masatomo Miyamoto and Takashi Santo. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to know more about the show, you can find us online at pixelatedaudio.com for all the show notes for this episode and the track list. We're also on Twitter and Discord, so please join. Join the conversation, join the family. Yeah, yeah, it's uh we always got a lot of great music. We just had a wonderful show with Super Mega Zero, uh with DDR Kirby and just an amazing soundtrack. Uh, we've got lots of music from shmups over the years, so if you like this kind of music, go back into our archives and just search Shooter <laughs> yeah, yeah, on our website. Pro- You'll find there. something. Yeah, there's there's so much great music from shooters, and I'm glad we got a chance to cover this, uh, The Guardian Legend. It's never going to quite hit the same impact as being there when you were a kid, but if you have a chance, play it. It never is, but... Of course. But you know what? Like, you can still, you know, curl up and uh, on the floor with a blanket and turn off the lights and enjoy right so <laughs> yeah check out some of our past episodes um had a lot of fun I, I really like doing these these shorter episodes um especially from games that we just we've been wanting to like talk about for a while i got another one that i've just got a hankering to do too so maybe that'll be the next on the lineup so anyways we have one track taking out the show here this is the ending from the guardian legend uh any final thoughts gene yeah um this is one <laughs> of, of those I'm, I'm i'm robbing you of the experience listeners but this is one of those tunes where when you hear it after fighting a very hard final boss it just it it hits different i gotta say it's a great tune but it's not an earned victory because i just handed it to you but we hope you enjoy <laughs> it anyway this is the ending from the guardian legend thank you so much for listening we'll see you back in a few weeks for the next episode <laughs>